there are a hundred different ways of getting to your destination. Esmael Gillis here with the newest episode of the Inspirational Leadership Series with Harley Lovegrove on Esmael's World, my podcast. It's never the strongest of species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Charles Darwin. Adaptability. For my team and myself at HEADS, adaptability is a key point in translating new trends and fashion to our guests. As a creative stylist, it is a key point we practice daily and therefore understand better. But how do we employ adaptability on the business side? Today, we sit together with Harley Lovegrove to discuss and find out how to use adaptability. The third key element in his book, Inspirational Leadership. So if you want to attract the best stylists available on the market, keep your key stylists in your team and guide your stylists to become the best versions of themselves and understand where inspiring leaders get their vision from and how to find it in the chaos of life, tune in now. Hello Harley, welcome back. It's so nice having you on the show again. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Esmael. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I'm looking forward to exploring this topic together with you. Well, that's nice to hear. And I would like to dive immediately in the third of the five essential elements, which is adaptability. Perfect. And Harley, you wrote in your book, and I read, Adaptability is the element that allows us to embrace change constantly turning it to our advantage. It enables us to renew and refine our strategies, to cope with failure and the dangers of success. So anyone who has not experienced a run of success can never imagine how dangerous it can be. Success confirms to us that the strategy we deployed has worked and therein lies the danger. The state of being successful implies a change in itself. You are now successful, and previously you were not. This means that when success comes, you have to adapt to it in order to deploy a strategy to manage it. If you fail to do so and try to grab onto it too tightly, success like sand, will too easily slip away through your fingers. The highway is littered with fallen stars. However, with the awareness of these needs and by keeping the five elements in balance, success, if truly one, is not impossible to hold on to. So Harley, 
when I continue on the next chapter, you write, it's just the way it is. And before we attempt to change what we see, we need to understand why and how it came to be the way it is in the first place. And you're right, there is a delicate balance between accepting things how they are and implementing change. The wise leader knows this and moves cautiously before acting. My father was an architect. He often advised his clients to live in their new homes just as they were, without making any structural changes, for at least four seasons. He believed that the benefits of taking the time to understand why things are the way they are far outweighed the emotional need to make changes simply because we don't like what we first encounter. In this way, he knew that hasty and regrettable mistakes could be avoided. So it's about accepting a situation completely, but at the same time willing to change it. How can we steadily do that? Well, I want to go back, first of all, to the introduction which you, we heard and where I'm talking about success and how I implied that, okay, in order to be successful, it implies already that we weren't successful once, but we became successful. So first of all, point number one, an inspirational leader, the biggest risk for them is when they become successful. Because that is different from not being successful. You're going to a dinner party, you're meeting people, you're not successful, you're struggling in your business, you're overdrawn at the bank, the life is not good, you've got a 12-year-old car with a rattly back wheel. Three years later, you're going to the same place, the same organization, you're driving a brand new Jaguar, everything's going great, there's money in your bank account, you've fallen in love, everything is fantastic. That's when you face the biggest danger. And that is because you start to believe in your own success. And this new world that you're in is new to you. So you're also naive and ignorant. So one of the things about adaptability is adapting to success. And then also going on to the next stage, which is adapting to circumstance. But if you believe that everything you do is fantastic and is going to turn to gold because I'm successful now, you have a problem. So and I think with that article about my father, he was an architect, yes. And what he was implying there was not with one of his own builders that you're moving into an existing building or you're moving into an existing business. You're, you're buying an existing salon, the one down the road and building, bringing the two together. Don't try and smash it up and change it straight away because you're buying something that is successful or the house was nice. You paid a lot of money for this house or this new building. Before starting knocking it down and changing it all, experience it. Because only after six months or a year do you fully understand that that process that's there is for a very good reason. Or that wall that separates the kitchen from the dining room is there for a very good reason. It's annoying. You've got to walk all the way around. But when you take it away, it's all echoey and horrible and not a nice place to be. And maybe that's how it was. And that's why they built the wall. So in business, adaptability is really, really important. Adapting to our own position, our own status, our new circumstance. 
we uh, extended our business into the UK. It is not the same as doing business in Belgium and it's not the same as in Germany or in the Netherlands. Everybody says, oh, yeah, but that's Europe. No, everything is different. You have to adapt, but it doesn't mean you destroy at the same time. So the inspirational leader is one person who understands that on a personal level and on a business level. And adapting to business circumstances, there's nothing bigger at the moment we're recording right now. We've got a COVID-19 with us. Um, hair salons, businesses, whatever, are having to adapt massively to we the had new to. environment. We you, had to. You weren't even able to cut hair. And uh, my wife missed more than anything else during this period the fact that she couldn't get her hair cut. For her, that was a really important thing. You know, anybody who knows what I look like know that's probably less of an option for me uh, or a worry for me. So the adaptability of a business is extremely important because that links back to our previous chapter when we we're talking about creativity and innovation. Other people in your business will adapt to the new situation. They'll buy longer scissors or longer combs or start new services which are not directly related to cutting but actually satisfy their customers until they're allowed to go back to their daily business. So adaptability, cash-wise, business-wise, sales-wise, all very, very important. Yeah. Is, is there, is there um, a way how to approach it on a daily basis you use, or is it the approach? Well, again, it's back to innovation because we're, we're, you know, sometimes the adaptability is required because the circumstances have changed. It's very, very hot weather. Um, everybody, your clients, your echo is not working because it's 35 degrees outside. So, you know, one of your team runs down the road and gets some ice sodas and goes around and gives everybody a nice ice cup of coffee or something or puts a, fen a fan on or something and adapts to that environment to ensure the client leaves happily. Again, trusting people, giving them the space to be creative, to be innovative, to adapt to a circumstance that's there. Um, of course, as a leader, you need to be sure that you are building the foundations to allow you to be adaptable. So just putting up in the COVID-19, you had to put up these plastic screens between the customer and you, if you haven't got any cash left in the bank, it's really, really difficult. But if you can afford to pay someone to come in over the weekend and put the screen up and do it all and, and it's done before your competitors, you have that advantage. So again, understanding that you will need to adapt at some point. Your strategy is great today, but at one day in the future, it's no longer going to be great. It might be okay or even not okay. Um, helps you prepare for that. It's a mindset. Yeah, it's a yeah. way of thinking, to yeah, be it's honest. A and not being so stubborn in your head that you say, no, this is the way I do it. This is how my father did it. This is how we're going to do it. Well, those are really the dinosaurs. And dinosaurs are very successful. They were around for a very long time, probably a lot longer than humans will ever be around. So we, we must not knock the past, but we must try and uh, anticipate the need to change. Yeah, and... To continue also what you wrote on the next chapter, and it, 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 it will slide very well in it, it's uh, working with the team you are given. And I find that a very interesting chapter, so I'm going to read first, and then we're going to go explore a little bit more. So Holly, you wrote, 
Handing over responsibility is not about neg negating your own, but empowering another to achieve what you yourself shall not. Indeed. So I continue. You said already a lot now, but I will continue a little bit further. I don't personally know any business leader that is not under pressure to deliver. More in less time, at a lower cost and with higher quality. Only using the resources they have been given. When you think about it logically, at a certain point in time it becomes simply impossible. In my time, I have had to review the structure of many project teams by matching the available players to the needs of the project. On paper, the situation, more often than not, seems utterly hopeless. Mostly, there are simply not enough profiles with the right experience and talent to suggest that the expected deliverables could be, ever be achieved. And yet, I know from my experience that out of even the most unlikely teams, truly amazing results can come. It's all a question of taking the time to identify and recognize the hidden talent that lies within most ordinary groups of people. When a strong team dynamic can be achieved, unexpected talent almost naturally comes to the surface. Once detected, it becomes simply a question of careful delegation combined with handing over complete responsibility, ownership, to those who are keen to take on the challenge you offer them. I found that when people feel responsible and believe they can handle the tasks they are given, the results are often far better than ever imagined. It's as if shackles have been released from blocking the team's inner confidence and pride. And for us, Harley, sometimes we dream about a top team of stylists. Mainly because we think current challenges would immediately be solved. But we fail to see the hidden talents of our actual team. Yeah. The people you're working with, Absolutely. you already have them. And what's your advice on this? Well, first of all, if you are able to describe what that talent is you're looking for. So let's just take, for example, the best stylist that ever was and an okay stylist. Okay. Okay. And we say, right, let's together with your yep. team and i would recommend you do this one friday lunchtime or whatever in the evening when yep. in a bar or whatever you say right let's take the best stylist who is it you you all agree that it's going to be whoever you yeah know, so david or whatever <laughs> and then you say okay what is the difference between that person and us or the average stylist Ah, they're always creative. Well, what does that mean? They come up with new ideas. Where do the ideas come from? They read books. They go to exhibitions. And you make a list of all the things that that person did or does and has that the others don't. I mean, it's really, it's really that simple. simple I mean, yeah, sometimes yeah. you have what we call raw, raw, natural talent. Okay. Okay. The yeah, natural yeah. talent. Yeah. But... That doesn't make you 
great stylist or a great innovator or a great business person. Totally not. So you really right. need to understand what the difference is between the two and see if you can identify that in any of your team. And I remember a classic situation, and I think I've mentioned it before, that I had somebody working in my team who was a very, very average, average person. I left the organization. Somebody else took over my role and came back six months later. And this very ordinary person was now managing the whole department, doing great things. And somehow he had brought out of that person all this hidden talent that I didn't even recognize. I didn't even see. Maybe I didn't give it space. So I, I'm sure that the average, get the average stylist, put them with great people, with great inspirational leaders, and go back six months later and see the work that they're doing. And I bet you it'll be on a level higher than the best stylist in, 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 in the salon where they came from. It's, it's really, yeah. I believe that yeah. passionately. You, with five good people, you can do anything. Yeah. It didn't take a million people to get to the moon. Luckily, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you understand yeah, what I mean? It did take a lot yeah, of people yeah, yeah, behind yeah, the scenes, yeah, behind absolutely. The scenes, of course, yeah. But this concept yeah, of yeah. solving complex problems and adapting, which is what this chapter is about, about yeah. is, you know, a few good people, a few good brains. How do we know when we've survived? What is the difference between great and this and good? And, I, you know, identify that and then look for it within your own team. Yeah, working what, what you've got and taking the most out of it. Yeah, and you don't know what you've got unless no. you can explore, unless yeah. you can create an environment yeah. where they are yeah. exploring. Yeah. And that's what, again, this innovation, this trust, space, listening, asking the right question. question. Yeah. And, and inspiring them. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what it's all about. Have you ever about. asked your people, for example, who are the people that inspire you in your life? When you're interviewing people, who are the people in your life who, you're in, who inspire you and why? I already did it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, people are surprised when I ask that question because, but I put it differently. I always say, who is your, who is your inspiring person in our industry? Maybe I should, should make it more broader, broad, yeah. Make, yeah. take it broader. Yeah. Because then... They look at me like, oh, no one's ever asked me that question. Yeah. And they don't know what to answer. But, but it might be but, a footballer. It yeah. might be an artist. Yeah. It might be a painter. It might be their grandma. It might be yeah. grandma. But if yeah. that defines for them yeah. and you'll find out what it is that inspires them about it, then you've got the elements of the things that motivate them and inspire that person. And they can all be very different. Yeah. Hopefully they are. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. 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 That's what we need. So you continue. In the next chapter, if it isn't broken, don't try to fix it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'll read first. The best way to avoid change is to continually adapt to the changes around you. You don't have to look far around you to find can't change. Won't change people. They're everywhere. Hiding behind phrases like, I am fully open to change, but if it isn't broken, don't try to fix it. 
I have been looking at this paradox recently and trying to better understand it. According to Professor John L. Ward, PhD, the more successful our past set of rules is, the more resistant we are to changing them. In addition, the more involved one was in creating the status quo, the more resistant one becomes to changing it. But perhaps it is more realistic to say the more involved one was in creating the status quo, the more determined one defends it. And yet resistance to change is logical, if seen from purely a risk perspective. However, the root of the problem is not so much in our resistance to change as in our inability to see the need for it in the first place. Yeah. And, and Harley, after all, nothing lasts. Everything breaks down. So it shouldn't be fixed before it's broken. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay, I'm agreeing with things that I wrote. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I think when I think of my back on my career and the different organizations I've worked into, and if it's not broken, don't, you know, don't, don't try and fix it. And that's a very sensible thing to say in itself. When there's lots of things going on and there's something that still works, well, please leave that alone, you know. Um, but generally, I've learned to take that further and just say, look, you know, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. But if it's not broken for how long? Because at a certain yeah. point, the thing that's working fine will no longer be fine. It will wear out or things will change or people will find a way of getting a package to your to their competitors two days faster than you can. So all of these things we are aware of, yeah. it's just a matter of setting your priorities and and understanding that everything that's perfect, everything that you developed, that wonderful spreadsheet with all the cutters, salaries and costs and everything in which gave you your EBITDA faster than your accountant could give you your earnings before depreciations, taxes and accruals. I mean, that wonderful spreadsheet you spent the whole Easter weekend working on was great. But for how long? Yeah. You know, six yeah. months later, a year later, yeah. uh, you, you know, the software that you have running your, your ERP system will do it all for you for free. So, yeah, it, that's an important thing, understanding that balance and looking at the priorities and, and sometimes taking a project management approach to your business you know if i could change three things in the practice what would it be in the in the salon what would it be what are my what would be the top priorities for your clients for your employees for you um and then sort of balancing those up which bits should we change first you know sometimes there's a sequence though you know that you know that you can't change one thing without changing something else first yes. but you that's yes. a dependency and that's yes. that standard project management talk yeah um and uh, definitely i think that that's an element of it. How do you personally cope with, with resistance when you find or when you're confronted with the can't change, want change, people or mentality? Yeah, there's two elements. Um, I remind myself, first of all, that I'm exactly the same. 
I spent years building up a business and it's a very, you know, very successful business. And I'm handing over to the next generation now, right at this moment, I'm going through that process. And it, up until now, I know if I look back on the last four or five years and people come with a new idea, I, I am very resistant, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But there's a reason why we did like that. Oh, you've got to understand. And you're, you're, you're new here. You, you know, all of the, all the mistakes I'm saying you shouldn't do when you're passionate about something that you put so much energy and love into building, it's extremely difficult. And if you can just remember that image and know that when you're going to meet a person who is resistive, um, then, and, and understanding it, I've written books on it, like Managing Change. I run whole courses on how to manage change. It's become a specialization of it for me. And maybe because of the fact I am so resistant to change myself. So, but the golden rule is anticipation. When you're confronted with people who are resistant to change, anticipate what they're likely to say, what they're likely to think. Anticipate why they might be thinking like that. Get into their shoes. Think about what would make them resist it. Maybe they did develop this. Maybe they were involved. Maybe they came from a very successful place that used this process. But that process wasn't what made the company successful. It was successful for other reasons. Get into their heads. Understand it. Anticipate what's likely to be said, and then calmly look back and say, well, what will our responses be to these things? And who is the best person to bring that message across? It may not be you. It may be a colleague or somebody else in the practice who they look to, to because they trust. Trust is, again, a very, very important element. Yeah, that's a... Uh, emotional glue yeah, the that emotional allows glue. us to yeah, open up. It's a cornerstone, yeah. yeah. Correct. In the next chapter, Harley, you... You talk, you write about the weakest link. Yeah. And you wrote, a team is a group of people working together to achieve a common objective. Because it is made up of people, it is dynamic and adaptive. A strong leader never forgets this and adjusts their strategy to suit. There are many management books and motivational posters that tell us that a team is only as strong as its weakest link. But I once found myself confronted by a situation that made me question that validity of this saying. In most instances, a team is not a chain. Take a football team as an example. During any particular match, there may be a player who for one reason or another is not performing to their utmost ability. What tends to happen in this situation is that his or her fellow team members instinctively compensate. Mm -hmm. If we assume that the weak player is on the right, then the team will tend to play more down the left. Yeah. Certainly this is a weakness, but it does not necessarily mean that the effectiveness of the team is completely lost. Yeah. Why? Because humans are dynamic. In times of adversity, they find new and creative ways to interact with one another and perform to higher levels. Yeah. Similarly, food soldiers are sometimes issued with bullets that are primarily designed to injure their enemy badly, but not to kill them. 
The reason for this is that when an enemy soldier is hit, his comrades see that he is not dead but wounded and therefore try to rescue him and get him to safety. Thus, one bullet can effectively remove two or even three or more soldiers from the battle. It's an unfortunate analogy, and looking back on it, if I could, I would maybe have written a different one. But it's a very powerful analogy, I think. Yeah. But I also would like to go a little bit further when you write, when um, a weak player is on the right, yeah. the team will tend to play, to play more on the left. Yeah, down to the, the left. left. Yeah, absolutely. So, and when... We've always considered it to be the responsibility of each team member to take care of the weakest link in a team. So, Harley, do you think it's a wrong approach? Because automatically, when, 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 when you're in, in, in a stressful moment and you're on, 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 on full, full board when you're working and you have to follow the procedures, automatically, when the, the weaker links miss or can't follow the stronger will correct it but it's also there is also a, a slightly little danger there because mm -hmm. that's also can be can become um a conditioning yeah it can become a habit a habit yeah absolutely yeah i know so what do you what do you think well it's just fact isn't it you know yeah. i remember the famous uh, england uh, disaster in the world cup uh, i can't remember which which year which season it was but there were you know there was a lot of arguing in the team behind the scenes yes and you had basically i suppose you had the 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 the, the arsenal people and and the man united people or the liverpool man united yeah. within the english team yeah. and basically they weren't passing the ball to each other so if they could pass one to their teammate they knew when they kicked that ball exactly how fast their teammate could run and they knew that they could outrun the opposition players so they tended to always pass to the to the people they knew best they trusted best they liked best and this this bias had to be broken down by a new manager and this distrust and dislike and competitiveness within the team had to be broken down and i think the weakest link is a problem when it's do due to competitiveness when your senior managers are compensating and helping saying look if it wasn't for me it would have been a disaster aren't i wonderful aren't i great you know then you have a problem if on the other hand at the end of the day the weakest link says thanks for helping out you know Oh, and the and the person says no no, no you're, you're very very welcome you know you'll be doing it for me one day rest assured this this uh yeah. This is then it's fine. It's really, yes. really a balance. It's balance. Yes. It's understanding. It's, yes. There's a balance, uh, and and the weakest links are often not the people we think they are. That's true. They yeah. they, they yeah. really aren't. No, they they're often very, very different, yeah. and then often it can be ourselves. You know, because we we you know we are the business people. We are the responsible. We are the leaders. We're the ones who are encouraging. But actually, often we're the weakest link, and people cannot tell us because we're the boss. Yes. Correct. And the weakest link is that we don't let go enough. We don't let the team show us what they can do. And that's trust again. Yeah. Yes, that's and trust And remember again. that in, in, in football or in hockey or in these team sports, where is the coach? Where is the boss? Not on the pitch. 
But in a lot of small businesses, where is the boss? Right in the middle of the right. pitch. Yes. And sometimes the boss has got to learn to take the afternoon off and let the team get on with it. And that is, that is really the challenge of inspirational yeah, leadership, especially challenge. in small businesses. Certainly small businesses, because now you work with people on, 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 and you're always together. You can't hide. Also, if there's something you can't hide, it stays. Yeah. yeah. So you have to focus a little bit more on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. And the winner is. Mm-hmm. So when we continue early to the next chapter, you write, and the winner is. No one knows what they are capable of until they come to realize that it is at least possible. An inspirational leader can play a big part in making this happen. Back in 2007, I designed an international competition called David's Dilemma. The challenge was to try and solve a particularly complex business problem in which a fictional board of directors, headed up by David, the CEO, each had their own opinion on as how it should be solved. The best 12 candidates were selected to defend their solution in the form of an interview for the position of interim manager for the imaginary company to which the dilemma applied. The interview panel was comprised of a team of highly experienced managers, each in turn representing the conflicting board members. The grand finale was staged in a theater in Brussels and played out live in front of an audience of more than 200 interim managers and business leaders. The surprising result was that the eventual winner was a complete outsider He had no interim management experience, had never tackled a company restructuring or managed a significant change project for a company in trouble. Yet his arguments were clear and were well thought through. Although the interviewing board of directors found holes in his reasoning, his coolness and clarity of thoughts on the night, plus his pleasant disposition made him their anonymous choice. But had you looked at the winner's CV beforehand and compared it with those of the many other contestants, you could have been forgiven for not giving him a chance in hell. To me, this demonstrates how we tend to limit the full potential of the talent that surrounds us. Yeah. Is that coming from, from fear of not taking the risk and the consequences involved? I think it comes mostly from narrow-mindedness. Narrow-mindedness. And yeah. also from an egotistical vision of ourselves. I mean, I've got lots of examples of that. I mean, that person in question who won that competition, incredible. You, you, you could never have imagined that he would do it. But on the day, he was just so nice and he answered so politely. And all the management team that were there, and we had some really big names there, the vice president of Levi Strauss. We had uh, 
the CEO of a big lighting company. I mean, they were all there on the stage. And this poor guy had to do a live interview in front of them. But he was just so pleasant, so nice. He was constructed. And, and all of them thought, oh, this is a guy we want in our board working with us. And this is often in life. I mean, I remember in a software company I, I, I was running, a um, high-tech company, and we had a lot of problems with quality of, of the software code because all of our software designers and, and, and people who were coming up with the, the algorithms, they were all highly educated with all the fantastic degrees and everything else and very, very super, super duper clever. But, you know, when someone tried to say, oh, I think you made a mistake there, all hell would break loose. And we would, I spent a lot of time trying to find someone to, to do the quality control. In the end, we got someone who sprayed cars for a living to do the quality control because he was in the evening classes trying to learn about algorithms and learning about softwares and computers. And he was not a threat to any of these big gurus because he sprayed cars for a living and he had just come to join us working part time. And they all liked him. And they weren't challenged, they weren't threatened by him. So when he said, look, I, I think, is it possible there could be a mistake in this line because it doesn't add up? I don't understand it. And they would look at it and look at it as thinking, obviously, he's just a fool. He doesn't know what he's talking yeah. about. And say, oh, you're right. There is a mistake in there. I forgot to put this in. Thank you very much. So I think a lot of the time we are not thinking anywhere near broad enough. I don't know how many people there are in your industry who became famous, but who didn't go to school to learn how to do their job, but just learned it some other way or, or brought the best ideas in. For the moment, what I, what I can immediately answer is the, the most of the people um, at the top of our industry, they never followed an education as a, for a hairdresser. They had, yeah. they had other educations, yeah. but never specifically no. for a hairdresser. Voilà. Voilà. They had the feeling... They had the insights, they had other knowledge, yeah, and they did it. But yeah, then let's then let's take their CV, take their name off, go back to their CV when they were 19 years old, 17 years old, and they're coming for an interview with you. Would you recognize them? How would you recognize? How would you know that this person who's never been to college, has never things, you don't even quite know how to pick up a pair of scissors? How would you know this is the one you want? And this is the challenge for us. That's the challenge because it's very difficult. And then you have, like you said, you have to, be, you have, to have the courage to be very open and give them a chance. It's the courage. And I think, isn't it, isn't it then anxiety or, or fear that restricts us well, to be no, no, so I think, open? Again, I think it's back to ego. If you spend seven years studying to be a vet and you ask a vet, what do you need to be a vet? Oh, you need to go to university and you need to study for seven years and you need to suffer like I did and then you can become a vet. It's all about what they went through to become a vet. But that was their journey. There are a hundred different ways of getting to your destination. Yeah, of course. But do I want to go to a vet who's studied? Yes. But ask any vet who studied how much of what they learned in those seven years they actually use in any realistic or positive way, I'd be surprised if it's more than 5%. Yeah, but, but that's, that's practically everything. Voila. And that's why I've been throughout my career very, very keen to find people who have never done what they've done before and putting them in, in places, not where they will fail, 
but where they can achieve and making sure you've got people around them to make sure that they, they can't make big mistakes, but to give them the space and the encouragement. Maybe you don't give them a pair of scissors on day one, but you say, look, if you were going to cut that person's hair, how would you do it? What would it look like? You know, and giving them the space and then letting them gradually build their skills, because if they're motivated, the skills come very, very fast. Because they already have it inside. Yeah. Yes. And 10,000 hours yeah. is what they say you need as, for, to, in order to yeah. become brilliant at what your craft, certainly yeah. to play the violin or the piano and all of these things. Yes. Yeah, but that comes also very fast. And maybe they will approach this thing from a different angle. Maybe they will never do the cutting or the coloring, but maybe they'll come up with concepts and ideas and designs and whatever. Maybe they'll just get your bookkeeping and your cash flow and get it under control and turn your business into a successful business and suggest that you buy your competitors and merge with another one and get your business to another level. Maybe they'll give you the space to go back to what you loved doing, which is cutting and styling and not having to, the stress of running the business. There's yeah. so many ways of boiling an egg and, yeah. I, and I think it's not looking at other people for how you got to where you are but how they have got to where they are and where they are today and where they want to go. Again, it's about asking the right questions. Yes. And then listening to the answers. And listening, yeah. Yeah. Listening. Yeah. And having the courage <laughs> to ask the right questions and to listening because yeah. you need to be... Well, that's another dinner party talk, you know. Yeah. You've got somebody in front of you and on paper they haven't got any of the criteria that you're looking for. What are the questions you might ask them? So many interviews, they start with this idea, this concept that the person in front of them is a liar, that they're not telling the truth. And you're saying, well, how do you do this? And how do you do that? It's like a challenge to see to knock them down and to see that they, they obviously don't know what they're doing. It's completely the wrong way. When what you really want to know is what brought them here, how, how they got here where they want to go to in life, what would they be looking for from, from you to, 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 to help them on their journey? It's, all, it's completely the other way around, actually. And then you can make a decision about whether they can be part of that story or not. Yes. That's my view anyway. Yeah. Work for me. Thank you, yeah. And uh, so, dear listeners, we came to an end for this incredible enlightening episode with Harley Lovegrove. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you, Harley, for sharing these insights with us. If you like to support the work we do, subscribe to the Esmond's World podcast for Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and leave a comment and share with your friends and colleagues. Furthermore, watch out for our upcoming webinars where we'll discover how to implement this knowledge in your salon. See you around. Bye.